Hello, 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 Clive here, editor of Stick Around. Um, before we start this Soprano special, apologies once again, something's gone wrong in this instance. Um, there seems to be some weird interference on my microphone. Um, must have had my phone too near the bloody interface, or I don't know, audio. Um, so yeah, sorry about that, hopefully it's not too annoying, I don't think it's too distracting. Um, and I can't really get rid of it, so... Enjoy your sends. Bye. Get your head out of the clouds. Get your feet back on the ground. Get stuck into pop culture. Weird stick around. Hello there, and welcome to Stick Around. The podcast that is one in a million, because we got that shotgun shine. Brought to you by Fitness First. Why not book a session with one of our fully qualified personal trainers and then die? Is that your thoughts on personal trainers, Michael, or... Um, you know, do you want to add any context no, to that's, it? No, that's Fitness First's uh, official slogan. So. Right, okay. <laughs> you know, you, you pays your money, you get your sponsorship. I don't ask questions. <laughs> Fair enough, that's why we get the big book. Have you ever um, have you ever had a session with a personal trainer, Michael? Uh, no, but I have had a session with someone shouting instructions at me when I signed up to the gym, so I, get, I, know, I know the vibe. <laughs> like I always assumed it would be more like a, j- a drill sergeant, um, but the sessions I've had are more like a youngish bloke going, "Yeah, you got this," and then I'm like, "No, I don't." You know, get away. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, reminds me of is uh, is Peep Show, where it's like, "Do you want it? Do you? No, I don't bloody want it. It's too hard." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've never had one. I'm a trained personal trainer, uh, so. <laughs> Should probably know what they're like, but I don't know. Um, gave up on that quite early when it when it turned out you have to market yourself, which is something I absolutely hate to do. Um, anyway, we're here for episode 167, and we are finally going to do our Soprano special, whoop, whoop, um, which is basically where we're just going to talk about Sopranos for the whole episode, probably, unless it goes over quickly and then we'll add some other stuff in. Uh, but we'll probably just be talking about Sopranos. Obviously... Because um, we're talking about Sopranos for this long, it is going to be spoilerific. Um, Sopranos did finish how many years ago now, Al? Oh, I'm not prepared for that. Well, there you go, yeah. A long time ago. You've had plenty of time to watch it, uh, so there will be spoilers. So if you've not seen any of the Sopranos, I suggest you watch it all before listening to this. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if you haven't, even if you're partway through, don't listen to this. This may affect our numbers, but we don't want to spoil an incredible yeah. show. Only listen to this if you've seen it all before. We care about integrity more than numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's basic, basically the vibe for today. So I'm pretty excited about this because I finished watching it um, only well, probably like a month ago now, um, having been badgered to watch it for however many years it's been on, which is a long time. I remember it being on at uni and uh, you watching it, Al, and pretty much everyone else watching it except me. Uh, so, so it was good to be able to catch up. Uh, so I'm... Looking forward to discussing it, but I'm going to go to Al first, who, as the king of introducing things, is going to introduce the Sopranos 
give us a bit of a rundown. Uh, thank you very much, Clive. Um, so um, I think everybody knows what The Sopranos is, even if you haven't seen it. Um, it's a a drama, uh, largely a drama anyway, focusing on the life of Tony Soprano and his dual families. So in, on the one hand, he has his actual family uh, with wife Carmela, uh, kids Meadow and AJ, Anthony Jr. And on the other hand, he has his crime family. Um this is created by David Chase, who is a TV veteran. Um, I can't say I've seen any of his other work, um, but it, and it's directed in various stages by Chase himself, uh, Terence Winter, who's more famous now for Boardwalk Empire and The Wolf of Wall Street, Matthew Viner, who is more famous for Mad Men, uh, Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess, who are both more famous now for Blue Bloods. Um, it's incredible opening theme is... Woke Up This Morning by Alabama 3, which I referenced in our opening line. Um, interestingly, not from Alabama, from Brixton, uh, but there you go. Um, also known as a-, a3 in America, to avoid a lawsuit with the band, country band Alabama, uh, but not over here. Um, stars a huge cast, really. Um, obviously, most famously, Jan- James Gandolfini, uh, the late and great James Gandolfini, uh, Edie Falco, Lorraine Bracco, who is very much a veteran of this genre, having been in Goodfellas, Michael Imperioli, Dominic Cinesi, Steve Van Zandt, otherwise known as uh, Little Stevie from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, Tony Sirico, Robert Iller, Jamie Lynn Sigler, Ada Zatoro, and Stephen R. Sharupa, plus many others, um, including some interesting guest stars, if you like. Um, that's kind of the crux of it. So you've got Tony living his life as a in one family and another, Plus, you get inside his head with therapy sessions as he's struggling from panic attacks. Does that kind of sum it up, guys? Would you would you say I've done a reasonable job there? Certainly, yeah. Very good summary. Okay. I agree. So, the, the show is broken down into, well, loosely six seasons, although you could argue seven, because the, the sixth season was broken into two. Um, I Honestly, in terms of tone, I would say there are seven seasons, because... The second half of season six is very much a different tone. As will be fairly clear from um, when we're speaking here, there is a kind of a different theme to each season, which may only be obvious on kind of reflection, but is uh, clearly a creative choice. Um, I'm going to jump in here with and ask Clive's initial thoughts to start with before we do a rundown of each season, because Clive has experienced it for the first time recently, whereas I've watched it for about the fifth time recently. Clive, did it did it meet your expectations? Were you expecting what you got? Um, right, good question. Yeah, I'll give I'll give my overarching thoughts. Um, so it's interesting that you mentioned did it meet my expectations in terms of quality? Absolutely, yeah, it didn't meet my expectations in terms of what it was. Like it was quite a lot more um, accessible than it than I expected it to be. Um, kind of lighter than expected in a weird way, even though it obviously deals with some very. Uh, of topics there's obviously plenty of murders and pretty graphic scenes but i just the, the whole show had much much more of a lighter feel than i expected when people had been going on a, at me for years before trying to get me to watch it um and i thought that was a positive thing um i think it's largely because of the the, the humor in the show um lo- lots of the characters you know paulie Stephen Van Zandt's character, um, Sil- Silvio, Sil, yeah. Sil, or Silvio, full name, I'm assuming, um, is you know hilarious. Uh, 
T- Tony has his moments, um, and sometimes just the stuff that's going on is uh, has an undercurrent of humour to it. Um, it's so that's one of the main things I noticed. It's so I, it's the kind of thing I could imagine a lot of people like. Probably a lot more people liking than think they'll like it. Uh, I know that sounds weird. Um, Elle absolutely loved it, and, and I wasn't expecting. I think if it had been what I expected, it she probably wouldn't have loved it, <laughs> but it wasn't. Um, it's really unpredictable and moves on quickly from stuff um which to me was i loved i think tv shows sometimes have a tendency to dwell on things for bloody ages or they'll bring in a character and um you'll think okay this is going to be the bad guy for the next seven seasons um this absolutely doesn't happen with the soprano someone comes in and you think oh this will be the bad guy for the next seven seasons and then it gets killed uh, <laughs> pretty quickly um and th- things like that I really appreciated. I think when someone does get killed, there's not a massive hoo-ha made about it. It doesn't ever... There's never, like, sad music or stuff to try and drag any emotions out of you. It's just kind of played out in front of you, matter of fact, um, which I think leans to something we've mentioned previously, which is, like, it's... I mean, the majority of the cast are misogynist, uh, misogynistic, racist, and various other... (laughs) have various other issues. However, that doesn't make the show those things because I don't think it's... It's just kind of laying these things out matter-of-fact and these are what the characters are like um, and not expressing, I suppose, an opinion either way necessarily. Um, I think if it expresses any opinion, it expresses the opposite. Um, but, yeah, it's the music in the show is great. It's used very sparingly. It's, ne- it's never used to, like I say, um, sort of drag some emotion out of you that isn't there. Uh, to begin with, which I think is something that uh, TV, well, films and TV shows do a lot, uh, and I appreciate it when they don't. Um, you just, the there's, I guess the the show's success is hinges on those things, but also two other things. I think a the memorable characters. I think all the characters are great. They're kind of fleshed out. They have, like I say, that yeah, most of them have kind of a, a funny side to them, um, and. They're just interesting, and you just kind of... None of them are perfect. Um, in fact, they're incredibly flawed, the majority of them. But they're interesting and feel kind of real um, while still having a sort of, I don't know, fictional element to them to make them more interesting than if you were just watching uh, <laughs> however many re- real people on the screen, I think. Um, the, and the key which you mentioned, Al, I think, to, to the success of the show or that makes it... Um, that kind of takes it up a level is are the sessions with the therapist um, which get you inside Tony Soprano's head and kind of um, I guess present some of the things that are some of the problematic things that are happening in the Sopranos and also happen in you know other mob films or whatever in a in a more interesting way because he's having to kind of think about them while speaking to this therapist um, who you know questions him on various other things which just kind of, and his answers to them are he's kind of it's it's obvious he's got this kind of uh, conflict inside him about um that he's trying to say that his job's all right and it's fine because there's various you know Italians have been fucked over for however long so it's fine that he can he can kind of do what he wants um while something inside him is clearly realizes that that's not really true either um and I think that it's that kind of conflict that's really interesting throughout the show and I thought that's what made Tony more human, I don't know, than he probably would have been without those therapy sessions. And, I mean, Gandolfini's, I think you said it, Al, that it's the best uh, performance throughout a TV show. I completely agree. 
I think he's absolutely amazing. Like there's, <laughs> he just does so many different things throughout all the shows. Um, and it's always absolutely bang on. And he just completely nails this character and his character has, while I think all the other characters are great too, they're a little bit more one, bit one, they're very, they're fleshed out, but still a bit more one dimensional purely because they're not on the screen as much. Um, whereas you get to know literally everything about, uh, Tony and I think that make, that's what makes it so would would make it so hard to act. And yeah, he just nails all aspects of his character and makes him completely believable. Um, and it is probably my favorite acting performance in anything, um, not just a TV show, but certainly my favorite um, acting performance throughout a TV show. So yeah, I and yeah, absolutely, is it's definitely my favorite TV show, <laughs> having watched it. So it absolutely reached expectations. Um, loved it for all those sort of broad things that I've mentioned there that I'm sure we'll get into a bit more deeply. We certainly will. Um, Michael, do you want to give any general thoughts before we go into this? Yeah, sure. I mean, it'll echo a lot of what's already been said, but um, The Sopranos is... It's seven years since I saw it, but it is it remains the best TV show I've ever seen, personally. Uh, it narrowly pips the wire by virtue of exactly one of the qualities that Clive mentioned, which is its accessibility. Uh, I would literally recommend this to anyone, and I'm not even restricting that whatsoever. Uh, I think anyone could watch this and love it. Um, And I think it's the, uh, you know, that's what makes it a pop cultural juggernaut. And uh, the only thing I would remotely compare to it in the uh, the intervening years since it ended would probably be uh, Hamilton in that sense. Um, But it's... uh, a lot of it's obviously it's it's difficult to place it in context um, now. Uh, it's historical context uh, in terms of innovation, uh, but we can certainly try. And you know, TV, you know, al- along with the Wire, you know, it was the, this was the show that really opened up um, the standard of the golden age of television, uh, made HBO uh, what it is in in terms of um, of that golden age period of television and yeah that it, it it's got countless innovations in terms of you know impeccable storytelling in that sense uh one of them is um obviously as clive was was discussing the uh the therapy sessions which are a superb expositionary device uh, it's almost like having two characters rather than one in the form of of tony soprano and obviously digs deep into the conflict within him as clive already said uh, so that that really gave it an edge, as does the fact that the show divides up uh, the gangster elements, which are obviously a prominent part of it, with the focus on Tony as you know a member of a family, just another American family in many senses. Uh, so it's all those layers that intertwine so brilliantly that make the show what it is. Um, the set of characters is incredible, brilliantly cast and acted throughout, almost flawlessly. Uh, I love the fact that Tony has an array of nemeses, like a, a comic book superhero, um, who uh, who pop up throughout the show. Um, yes, yeah, I mean, there's so much brilliant humour in the show. Uh, its murder scenes, of which there are a lot, obviously, are um, superbly executed. No pun intended. Um, and. Yeah, there's there's a lot of other specific things that I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get into. Uh, I love this the, the show really for me. This is one of the things that always interests me about long form television is um, the structure of it uh, in terms of um, obviously in terms of storytelling, but also in terms of quality. 
And I think The Sopranos has a really keen sense of its own uh, narrative structure in that sense. It really, all of the excellent work it does in laying down um, stories, it really explodes them in the most dramatic way possible in terms of uh, the episodes where its action is, its true narrative action is located. Uh, it really innovated the idea that's associated with HBO and that we've seen continue with shows like Game of Thrones that rather than the finale episode of a se- se- season, um, the penultimate episode is where uh, a lot of the uh, the driving force, the thrust of the story happens. Uh, and the, the, ep- the, the most explosive and exciting and interesting episodes tend to be clustered together uh, in The Sopranos, but they're also, I mean, they're laced throughout the show um, and they do pop up as a surprise sometimes as well. Uh, also, I think so, many of the very best episodes of the show are right at the end of it, uh, which is saying something because the quality is so high throughout, as you can probably tell from the comments I've made. Uh, but I really think that's a, that's um, that's the gold standard. That's a real acid test for TV shows. I think to to be really considered as a great TV show, um, a lot of I think you I need you need to have a substantial amount of your best episodes right at the end, uh, and so few t- TV shows have that. Some of the biggest shows that we've seen that we've all loved have obviously famously failed to maintain that sort of momentum as they've approached their climax. Uh, it's not the case with The Sopranos at all, uh, so the payoff's absolutely gigantic in that sense. Uh, so there's some of my general thoughts. Uh, but as I say, uh, I am coming at it from it being from the angle of it being um, the best show I've ever ever seen. Even though I've only seen it once, I've seen other shows more than once. Uh, that's what I recognise it as. Okay, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, I largely agree. I think it probably is um, the best show ever made, or at least um, top three minimum. I am actually rewatching The Wire at the minute, and. Um, Often I can never decide which I prefer, um, but I think you're right that it's definitely more accessible on The Wire. Um, whereas I would recommend The Wire to a lot of people, just like you said, um, I'm not sure I could do uh, the same for The Wire. Um, I would recommend, um, as I could for The Sopranos, so yeah. I would recommend that to anybody. Um, okay, so we will go through this kind of season by season. We're not going to go into every single uh, element of every season so if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh what about that little storyline sorry uh, we just don't have time and honestly it might be a bit boring i'm hoping it won't be boring generally but we'll see <laughs> um so i'm going to give us a kind of a, my general thoughts on kind of the structure of the first season and um michael might struggle with this a little bit more than clive because it's not been as um fresh in his memory but hopefully we can chime in and pick out our favorite episodes um so i mentioned earlier there's kind of like a structure to each um each season and i think it can be largely broken down to uh the mob family is actual family and therapy as kind of focusing in around tony's life now tony is obviously not the the only character in the sopranos uh but he is very much a focal point um it is an ensemble cast, but he is clearly the lead actor as such. So kind of season one um, picks up with kind of a power struggle between Tony and his uncle Junior, uh, played by Dominic Chinesi, uh, for control of the family following the death of acting boss Jackie April. Um, in terms of his actual family, it's Tony versus his own mother, a manipulative force. Um, I think, I believe it's insinuated in the show, but perhaps... Uh, psychotically deranged force 
somebody who has given Tony a various set of neuroses and complexes. Uh, and it's Tony versus his mother in a literal sense of him moving her to a retirement home, but also Tony versus mother, his mother in a therapeutic sense. So Tony enters therapy to deal with his panic attacks and slowly begins to understand that his childhood had a huge impact on how he acts now and how he's being affected by these attacks. Um, I mean, season one, it's impossible to really have a definitive ranking of all the seasons, but season one kind of does exactly what you'd expect it to do. You set up with the characters. You, um, the show makes a concerted effort not to overwhelm you with detail too early. You, you find out kind of the key characters in the mob. So you've got Tony himself, you've got Silvio and Paulie, and you've got his protege, Christopher. And obviously you've got his rival, Junior. Um, and it sets up for a compelling kind of power struggle on many fronts. And I think we've kind of already said it. That's the, the crux of The Sopranos. It's Tony versus a series of nemeses, not all mob-based, some of them um, in his head, some of them in his actual family. Um, I think in this particular season, you kind of really see one of the only performances that really competes with Gandolfini. Um, and that is the performance of not uh, Nancy Marchand as Libya Soprano, his mother. Um, otherwise known as Neil Warnock uh, to certain people. Um, she is incredible in this as a manipulative force, a kind of sorrowful, pity-me performance, and I think one of the most detestable characters in all of The Sopranos. And, you know, we never see her murdering anyone, um, but I think that's a, I think that's a fair comment. Um, do you remember much about season one, Michael? Um I mean, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, it's not the freshest in my memory, obviously, but I remember it being superb as a standalone season. Like, I think this would have stood up on its own as a standalone, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And undoubtedly, yeah, uh, Livia is um incredibly observed and drawn character. Uh, I think I can think of one character, possibly, that I dislike more, uh, which we'll get on to after. Um, <laughs> I, I suspect that will be in season two when yes. when that character is introduced. But yes, yeah. I think uh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm beginning to think make us might make us look misogynistic, um, which I'm, is not our intention. Well, um, not, not the case at all. I mean, um, let's briefly mention um, Carmela Soprano, um, a superb again another superbly um, crafted female character. Uh, just to counter any accusations of that. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. one of the absolutely central cogs of this TV show, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just as a counterexample. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Um, Clive, obviously, you've, you've, you've watched this all fresh, and I'm going to guess um, that a lot of these episodes will have melded into one season for you if you've been watching it back to back. But you might actually have some of your freshest thoughts on the first season because you'll remember it from when you first got your introduction to it. How quickly were you hooked in? Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it straight away, and I enjoyed the tone of it, as I mentioned. Um, I probably was hooked in after, I think after like episode four or five, it became pretty clear that I was going to watch the whole thing. And even I kind of knew that already starting out. It would have taken <laughs> me, to, me to hate the first few episodes quite a lot for that not to happen. Um, like you say, everything kind of melds into one in terms of seasons as well, because we watched it quite quickly. Um, so your sort of synopsis was helpful. Um, yeah, totally agree that um, Livia's performance is, is superb. She's just, like you say, br- brilliantly manipulative, uh, but believably so. I think often those kind of characters 
um, are manipulative and you're like, well, I don't think that person would have really done that just because they'd said that. Uh, with w- w- all the stuff that she does, it, it just feels believable, uh, particularly with um, the relationship Tony has with her uh, and the difficulty kind of there, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a great introductory season. I totally agree with uh, Michael's point that I think it would work on its own and I particularly liked um, how this season finished. Um, I think if I remember rightly there, it's like they're sat in the restaurant and it's, I mean, they reference back to this in the final, um, the final season. Uh, they're just all sat around the restaurant. And he just uh, sort of says, remember the moments that are good. And it's kind of his whole family sat at the table, which I thought was a perfect ending. And it would have, it would have worked as a standalone season. Mm. As Michael says. I think, um, I think, so, did, yeah. I think, did I hear somewhere that it was, it, it was written with that possibility in mind or I think, um, well, if that had come, to, if that had come to pass, we would have been absolutely robbed. Obviously, but. It, it, it certainly <laughs> seems that it certainly seems that way because if it had ended there, you could have called it a mini season. Um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't really anything massively to get wrapped up. Um, mm. Yeah, well, that's a fair point. Actually, I hadn't really considered that considered it that way, but yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I guess I suppose that this was kind of at the the beginning of the prestige TV era. Yeah. It must have been fairly expensive to make. So my guess is they were thinking, we don't know if we'll be giving this money again. Let's at least make it stand alone by itself, and then we can maybe expand on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that touches on another thing that um, the Sopranos ushered in, which is where obviously. I think this does still happen, but uh, American TV shows tended to have upwards of 20 episodes, didn't they? Um, and I think mm-hmm. this this really uh, marked a point where that changed and there was a more of an approach of quality over quantity, really. Yeah. I mean, and also, I think for, from a character standpoint, um, this is probably the first and only season where Junior is largely an antagonist rather than yeah. maybe mm-hmm. a burden. Yeah, um, and I was going to say I was actually—it's actually quite nostalgic to think back to the junior of this uh, this season in particular yeah. and other early seasons because obviously it's a much different character later on. Yeah, um, I mean, almost—I mean, for, for reasons we'll mention a bit later, you know, he has a huge dramatic impact, but um, he almost becomes a lighter character, a a series of amusement, but also of tragedy. Yeah, um, yeah. I would, so, I would I think- say that just just one other thing I was going to add um, in terms of the structure again, like I was mentioning before. Um, I think with great TV shows like this, it almost becomes inevitable that the pilot episode is one of the most acclaimed because it's you know it introduces us to so many things that we love about the show. So that's definitely the case with this, and I think this is one of the this is one of the seasons of The Sopranos where where the finale is actually one of the most liked episodes. Uh, whereas, as I said, in others, it, it starts to become more the penultimate episode, which was kind of a thing that was considered an HBO trademark after this, as I mentioned. Mm. Mm. Okay, fantastic. And, well, and that that may well be related to the possibility that it was uh, written in a self-contained manner, whereas the other other seasons were probably written more so, you know, as part of a series. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that kind of set us up, and. Um, uh, we'll, we'll swiftly move on. Uh, unless, Clive, did you have any other thoughts you wanted to add, add on season one in particular? No, no. I think we've uh, covered everything there. Okay. Uh, well, we'll move on to season two then. And now, season two is it's kind of a continuation of season one, I think largely in tone. 
uh, except Tony gets a new antagonist. So from from a mob perspective, Richie April uh, returns from prison. Uh, Richie April, a very nasty kind of old school character. Uh, you certainly get the impression in The Sopranos that although all of the younger mobsters are equally brutal in terms of violence, uh, there is a, s- a slight softening, maybe a changing of the times, and um, Richie April certainly isn't. Um, he comes back and creates a lot of trouble for Tony. But then simultaneously, the season is about Troni- Tony's growing distrust with uh, one of his best friends and lieutenants, uh, Pussy Bompensero. Um, who, unbeknownst to him exactly, is an FBI rat. Um, in terms of his family life, um, we get the introduction of his um, rather irritating sister, Janice. Um, I don't even know what you'd call Janice, but something of a a combination between a deadbeat, a a kind of a hippie, and a... a I don't know even what else to say about her, but incredibly played by Ada Totoro. Um she kind of drags up elements of Tony's childhood uh, that he, he goes over in therapy with, with Dr. Melfi as he kind of understands the different roles he was, they were expected to have and how that has shaped how he is today, in, in particular with this relationship with his mobster father. Um, so you, you've kind of got, like like we've kind of said before in terms of structure, you've got Tony versus R- Richie and Tony versus Pussy in terms of um, the mob side of his family, and Tony versus Janice in terms of his actual family. Uh, and that's kind of the, the rough structure of this one. Um, Michael, I'm going to leave it to you to kind of expand on Janice a bit, because I feel like you've got the strongest thoughts on her. Yeah, well, I mean, not not in particular depth, but I think she is... I think she may be the most detestable character in the show, and I think it is significant that she's a family character rather than a character on the mob side for that exact reason. Uh, she she is there as exactly the um, you know the tool that you mentioned, which is to um, sort of bring up some of the ghosts of Tony's past, uh, continue to cause problems for him in the uh, in the present, um, and you know how detestable she is is just uh, is to, is just testament to the writing, uh, which is is obviously brilliant and as I said, su- superbly observed and acted character. Um, but I, 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 this is what I love about the show. You really do feel that potent sense of Tony's frustration, at all of the challenges he's facing in his life, of which there are, are, are a lot. Uh, despite the fact that you know he's uh, he's a mob boss, uh, and that's that is the Sopranos in a nutshell, really. Uh, but I, th- I think that really comes across. Um, and there's just a, a, a growing sense of chaos um, and dismay around him, uh, and that's 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 what made it so engaging. Um, but yeah, the, um, the ca- it, 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 all, all the things I'm saying about Janice's character are compliments. Obviously, it's just just another brilliant aspect of the show. I think I think what makes it work is that um, Tony's frustrations are quite justified, despite the fact he is a you know a narcissistic sociopath. Yeah, that, which makes uh, them relatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Tony may, may overreact uh, to their behaviour. Um, and he may take his frustrations out in ways that are extremely unhealthy and extremely, um, you know, violent for other people. But his frustrations are justified uh, in in a certain sense. It it is reactions that are unjustified. Um, well, we didn't we didn't really mention, of course, that while um, you know another thing that adds to all of that in terms of Tony is that 
I mean, these things these things very much converge, the mob and the family, uh, especially in the character of Richie that you were referring to. Um, so that's that's what that's what it enhances them even further. One of one of the more detestable villains. Um I'm gonna go in with Clive here. Um Clive, did you have any particular thoughts on either of those two characters? You get the kind of two antagonists as such. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much agree. Richie is pretty much who I was referring to when I initially said people come in and you think, oh, this is going to be the dick who's around for the entire uh, series. For the <laughs> and uh, thankfully he isn't because, yeah, he's pretty detestable. Um, but because it's well written and, um, again, really believable. And as you've pointed out, Al, it makes um, you feel you relate to uh, Tony's frustration and same with Janice. Um, and I think... You made a good point in that. I think this is really the season where you start to feel, which is pretty much the what Sopranos is all about, that the stress of Tony's position and all this kind of madness he's dealing with and uh, trying to control it all is essentially uh, is impossible. <laughs> and yet uh, that's what he's seeking to do. Uh, so he's just kind of doomed to a life of endless frustration, really. And I think that this this season is kind of where that starts to really happen. Um so yeah, I totally agree. Janice is my least favourite character. I can't remember. I, not, and I don't mean that as, as we've said that she's badly written or anything. I, I think she's great, and I think it's brilliantly done uh, and very believable. But yeah, she's just kind of. I, th- I feel like everything she says, she it, it's it's kind. I, I don't know whether it's meant to be, but I think she echoes her mother quite a lot in that like everything she says seems to be for a reason like she can't seem to just have a conversation um, it's always trying to manipulate something or make something happen or I don't know and I think that's probably why I'm, if I had to figure out what my feeling why my feelings were like that towards her <laughs> it's something to do with that but um, yeah two exploit excellently written characters another great season um, the pussy thing's really interesting because it's different to that um, it's more like uh, he's obviously an antagonist, but um, Tony clearly really likes Pussy um, and has had him in, you know, it pains him that this has happened to him and that kind of really hurts him, um, that there's a rat in his in his gang. Um, so that's a completely different and also really interesting take on it. I think I think the, the, one of the final um, scenes, well, probably not the final, probably, I can't remember if it's the second or last episode or the last, uh, where they where Tony... Uh, Silvio and Paulie take Pussy out on the boat. It's, and, the, um, it's the season finale, yeah. Yeah, and and they kill him is 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 one of the more shocking and horrible scenes. You can mm. see it's coming, um, but you can see that the pa- the conflicted pain um, that they have in in doing this. Perhaps perhaps least so with with Paulie, who is one of the simpler characters. But in terms of Tony, it, it really pains him. Uh, not just that he's being portrayed as such, but the fact that uh, his line of work, his lifestyle, kind of necessitates it, um, and I, th- I think that I think that was one of the you kind of get these reminders in the Sopranos that however much you can relate to Tony at times, and however however much the tone can be light at times, there'll be shocking moments that bring you back down to earth, and I think this is this is one of them. Not that it was a surprise when it happened, but um, a shock to the system. Uh, and I also think as well, um, it, it's more in season three, this, but um, the surrealism of the show, um, the the kind of dream sequence Tony has where he realises that Pussy is, in fact, a rat, uh, where a talking fish 
basically tells him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which I think then, I think that's the first time that this, the the. Um, the show uses those sort of dream sequences, which um, it did very well, I think. Although later on, it does a full episode one, which I can take or leave, to be honest. One of my rare criticisms of the show, but yeah, they are a, oh. they are a recurring aspect of the show, aren't they? Yeah, and obviously you have the the kind of the echo of these surreal sequences, particularly in season three when um, Big Bi- uh, Big Billy Bass, I think it's called the <laughs> the, the singing fish. <laughs> yeah. Thing, which I really yeah. want, by the way. I really want one. But, um, yeah, that was that's superb the way they use that later on. That is amazing. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I think as well, um, I mean, throughout both the first two seasons, uh, we haven't mentioned him yet, but you kind of see the the uh, the growing of Christopher's character uh, from kind of a uh, little mob henchman, Tony's protege, into more of a sociopath himself. Um, we're going to talk about him a lot more later, I'm assuming, but um, I think season two is where you finally start to see him not just as a henchman character as such. I think it's impossible, obviously, to look beyond Tony as the show's centre point, but Christopher is probably my favourite character after that. He has an amazing arc throughout the show, um, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I think my favourite Christopher um, tidbit of information to, to pass on is the scene... Which it may be in season two, maybe in season three. I've lost track actually, but uh, where he shoots the baker in the foot for not serving him quickly enough. Oh yeah, we know. We know <laughs> this is a reference to. Yeah, um, it happens. Which <laughs> uh, clearly a reference to uh, Michael Imperioli being shot in the foot in Goodfellas, which I've also watched recently. Um, but yeah, what a performance! Um, Do anyone have anything else they wanted to add on season two before you move on? Yeah, one important thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. the, I think the last two episodes in this case are the, are the best received episodes. Um, they both feature denouements to two of the uh, the clashes that we've discussed that occur throughout this season. Um, they're quite different tonally, um, I would say. Um, but the uh, I have to one thing I have to mention is that the season ends on the in my view the finest uh, season ending montage in anything ever over uh, through and through by the Rolling Stones uh, absolutely um, utterly iconic stuff. Yeah, um, I I'd forgotten about that actually. That that song really really works for it as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean yeah. I, I'm. I don't know much about. Um, I don't know the Rolling Stones stuff as well as I should, um, as I think we've discussed on music podcasts before. Uh, but this is a. This is. I think this song is from the mid '90s, so it's a. It's a later Rolling Stones track that is used to perfection here. Mm. Okay. Fantastic. I think that was one of the moments that really I can't specifically remember the montage much, but I remember watching it and just being like, "Yeah, this is bloody amazing." <laughs> yeah, I think it was that one. No, it's uh, uh, that it, would make sense. It's classic. I, I don't think I've seen a better montage. Oh, I mean, I don't... oh, carry on. Sorry, Clive. Go on. I was just going to say the only thing I wanted to add was the uh, you've already mentioned Billy Bass, but I thought that was an excellent way of like showing how obviously it's a reference to the fact that um, uh, as we've mentioned, he sees a fish telling him that uh, <laughs> the pussy's a rat. Um, it's the first time we kind of see Tony responding to something that we've actually seen the initial thing of, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of the show is about him. Um, the way he reacts to stuff is because of stuff that's happened in his past or his childhood. Um, this is the kind of the thing that we see. We've we've kind of seen both ends of it. It's like, okay, well, he's reacting to that. He really hates this Billy Bass for this reason. Um, 
and it seems completely irrational if you just look at it out of context but if you look at it as we've seen it it's like okay it makes sense yeah interesting point mm. yeah um we um, we probably don't have time to talk too much about it but it um it, since you've mentioned that song it's worth noting that the the show has an excellent uh, taste in music um it very much keeps its musical choices kind of linked to the the 90s and to kind of the the type of rock music that Tony would have grown up with that Tony's a fan of mm-hmm. um but I've always found it uh, I've always found the choices interesting and I've always found them um thematically correct if that makes any sense definitely does yeah okay um, we'll move on to season three um again I'll give you the kind of general setup which like I said, I'm not sure if they've written it exactly this way, but it can always largely be um, pinned down to the, the three kind of areas. So in terms of um, Tony's relationship with the mob, it's it's kind of Tony versus Ralph Cifarello. So this is one of the um, the, the famous um, guest appearances or long guest appearances, as we've mentioned. So this is Ralph, Ralph Cifarello played by the criminally underrated Joe Pantoliano, uh, probably more famous for uh, movies like The Matrix and uh, Memento. Um, Ralph is a long-term lieutenant who has returned from Florida, and he's also from Tony's childhood. Uh, they clash on a personality level, uh, where Ralph has a somewhat sick sense of humour and um, is debatably even more of a sociopath than Richie was. Um, but it's also... Tony, not versus anyone, but Tony kind of bringing Christopher fully into the family. Uh, Christopher becomes a made man, and the responsibilities of that start to take their toll on him. Uh, From his actual family, um, Tony's cheating on Carmella kind of goes to a next level with a full-on affair with uh, fellow Dr. Melfi patient Gloria. And the rest of his family tend to be acting out, so we've got Meda Soprano, going off to college in New York and expanding her education horizons and starting to question um, her father's life choices. And you have AJ Soprano having various problems at school. And you have the kind of Tony in therapy dealing with the idea that the fact that he can't control his impulses, the example he sets for his children, is affecting his son. And also you have the therapeutic area where Tony's realising that he's attracted to dangerous personalities uh, where Gloria is somewhat reflective of, of his own mother in a Freudian kind of way. Um, this is one of my favourite seasons, actually, um, because I think this season, although I love all of the, the general mob bits, this season I think is the most is one of the most introspective ones. And I think Tony's um, affair with Gloria is one of the most... Um, one of the one of the deeper inspections of of Tony's psyche, um, and I think she's she's incredibly performed as well. Offhand, I don't actually have the um, the actress's name, but I will find it. Um, Michael was, do you remember this season as well as others? Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can remember many aspects of it for sure. Um, I mean, Ralph is in contrast to Janice, who, as I said, I just hate as a character. Uh, in the best way possible, as Clive said earlier. Uh, you know, I love to hate Ralph. I mean, he's an utter scumbag. Uh, yeah. But, he, but incredible entertainment value uh, and oh, add, yeah. adds so much to the show. Uh, I think he's probably one of the things that stands out most in memory from uh, from season three. Um, 
I think it's just the consistency of the show. Like it, it just continues with the. Uh, it continues to spiral off in so many narrative directions, uh, which make it increasingly thrilling. Uh, the consistency of it in terms of quality is sky high. Um, there's a particular episode that I'm sure we're going to reference in a minute, so I won't jump into it. <laughs> um, which I think is 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 often. It's not my favorite. It's probably my second favorite, but it's often considered the best episode of the show. Um, so it's it's uh, it's more of the same in the best way possible, I think, this season, from what I can recall. Okay. Clive, without referencing that episode in particular, which I was planning for us to have a more detailed discussion on, um, what are your general thoughts on season three, if you can remember um, them? I was just going to mention that my favourite episode is in this season, which I'm guessing it <coughs> is the one <laughs> that you're on about, <laughs> um, which I didn't realise it was like generally thought of as the best one. Um, yeah. You, you've kind of covered everything really there's i absolutely detest ralph in a similar way to janice i i i understand he's got <laughs> he does provide a lot of entertainment but i didn't um i was very happy when he was removed um but again incredibly well written just a ugh, sick in fact i think he might i think if i was going to put make a detestable characters list i probably would put him top above janice but janice maybe is higher up just because she's around longer um so yeah i think he's a great character um yeah i don't have massively have anything to add i think it's um this is where obviously as you've mentioned aj and um well i have a, bl- a blanket on a name meadow meadow yeah <laughs> i was thinking melona i was like why am i thinking melona it's definitely not that uh yeah where, where that's that they start to kind of te- puddle away a bit from uh tony um which i thought was really interesting um just i i always find uh, like family relations uh in that sense really interesting as i have pretty interesting kind of background on that front so I, f- I find that kind of stuff fascinating and um that's where this i think really kicks in in the show which i was happy with and yeah i think that's we've pretty much covered it but yeah it's a another great season it's one i remember less specifics of because to me ralph just kind of dominates it a bit um so probably wouldn't pick it as my favorite one if i was having to pick one (laughs) but uh yeah again really enjoyable just carries on the theme and again kind of matches that thing of of the thing that's great about the surprise people there's constant coming and going uh, which i think is what makes it really interesting there's not much kind of sticking around except for the core group um which i think is one of the things that keeps it really interesting and it does that in a way that's not doesn't feel like it's doing that for the hell of it, um, but it really keeps it interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about the episode that has been foreshadowed, um, and I'm assuming everyone's talking about the same episode. Um, that is Pine Barrens, um, an episode which is as much a comedy episode as is anything else. Um, <laughs> the general setup to this... Um, you have <laughs> Paulie and Christopher sent to collect a debt for Silvio from a Russian. Uh, there is an argument over a universal remote that leads to uh, Paulie and C- Christopher thinking they've killed said Russian and going to leave him uh, in the Pine Barrens, which is a a forest, essentially, in New Jersey. Um, unfortunately, he's not dead, and he gets the better of them and then leaves. They think they've shot him dead, but they need to find him. And <laughs> it descends into almost a survival story 
in which they eat ketchup from a packet, um, madness descends, and Tony and Bobby, um, a character we haven't mentioned much so far, but an important one, are forced to come (laughs) and find them, um, leading to perhaps the best exchange of dialogue in the show so far, certainly in terms of Definitely, um, definitely the funniest value. Definitely the funniest moment in the show, I think. Can I? I feel like you're going to nail that the best, Michael. Can I leave that bit to you? Ah, oh, uh, yeah. Hang on, bear with me. I need to remember it um, in like properly. Um, so it's it's um, so the, Tony says to Paulie, doesn't he? Um, he says. Um, he killed. Jude. I don't know the number. It's something like sixteen. He says he killed. It is exactly sixteen. There yeah. you go. There you go. It's, he killed sixteen Chechnyans. He was in the Interior Ministry. Is that? Right? <laughs> I think that's right. Um. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, then when Paulie relays it back to uh, to Christopher, he says uh, he killed sixteen Czechoslovakians. He's an interior decorator. Then Christopher says, "Really? His apartment looked like shit." <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding, honestly. Um, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, Clive, I think this episode sums up how the show can really be a lot lighter than expected. I mean, an episode about murdering someone for no apparent reason, trying to dump their body and then running away, becomes a farce, Benny Hill-like, almost. Um, Yeah. And I think you also see how inherently useless some of the characters are outside of their own little world. Uh, so, you know, they might be ruthless killers. They might know how to run um, betting leagues. They may know how to um, run scams, but put them in a difficult situation and their own personal resolve, their their pain threshold, if you like, is not high. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly as well, this episode was directed by later star of the show, Steve Buscemi, yep. um, in a tr- tremendous job. Yeah, love this. This is my favorite episode of the whole thing. Um, just because I think it's the one that sticks out as to me like a very as a as an episode. It's you kind of know exactly what happens because it is very much focused on this particular event, uh, whereas other episodes might sort of wash into each other a bit more. Uh, it's just I was just laughing throughout it. It's brilliant. Um, I mean, I think Paulie is pretty funny throughout the show. Is this is his funniest uh, moment? And yeah, the way he plays off Christopher is just brilliant. <laughs> And there's the kind of lead-in of them kind of detesting each other a little bit. Um, yeah, it just works brilliantly. It's perfect. I, I think as well, there are a lot, even though it's a, a comedic episode, there are, are a lot of consequences. Uh, the person they killed is a part of the Russian mob who are holding a lot of Tony's money offshore and potentially they could go to war with. So this is incredibly stressful for Tony because their ineptitude could cost him not just a lot of money, mm-hmm. but his own life. And... I love the fact that it's kept ambiguous what happened to him. He's running away yeah. naked and he gets shot apparently in the head, but his body is never found. And we never ever find out what happened to him. And I'm so glad they didn't go into that detail. I think that's that's a prime example of observations that the writers of the show get spot on, isn't it really? Because I didn't have the privilege of watching this as, as it was aired, but um, I think there was a whole thing of people waiting to see if the guy turned back up later, which in so many hackneyed TV shows he would have somehow. But it didn't need to to happen, and the writers of The Sopranos understand that. I think I've ranted about this before, um, more in terms of prequels to movies, um, but 
Leave some fucking mystery in it. Do not tell us everything. Do not show us everything. Sometimes leaving it to us to think about is the most entertaining part. Yep. And of course, in this episode. Of course, that's a risk with uh, with a prequel film due out. So. Well, yeah, that's my only trepidation. Although I am still excited. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we'll we'll move on then. Um, we move on to uh, season four, uh, in which. Uh, Tony versus Ralph round two is kind of the main mob antagonist. Um, but this is you, you this is the uh, this is the pie or my season, isn't it? It is, yes. Which I'm a particular fan of. <laughs> um, you also have issues with Christopher's increasing ad- addiction to heroin. In terms of um, Tony's actual family, um, Tony and Carmela begin their splitting apart. Um, Carmela's starting to notice Tony's indiscretions and they're bothering her more. And she herself has fallen in love with uh, Tony's Italian Lieutenant Furio. Um, Tony's beginning to understand in therapy that his inability to control his base instincts are costing him, not just in terms of financially, but in terms of his personal life. And um, on a side note, uh, we begin the tragic decline of Adriana, Christopher's fiance. Uh, she's forced to become a FBI informant. Um this again, as we've mentioned, this is a peak season again for me. Um, the part that Michael just mentioned there, Pi or My, um, the racehorse that Tony seems to jointly own with Ralph Cifarello. Um, and this is kind of brought up later in the show more than it is now, but Tony's kind of raw sentimentality towards animals uh, mm-hmm. mixes with his absolute rage here uh, to create one of the most bloody and violent deaths in The Sopranos as Tony kills Ralph. Um, I actually have the, the painting of Tony with Pyromai, albeit the altered one with Tony as Napoleon, uh, hung in my <laughs> dining room right now um, as a permanent <laughs> reference. Um, Clive, I'm going to get you first. What, any thoughts on this season you want to open with? Um, again, this is washing into one a bit, so I'm, I'm struggling for specific thoughts. Um, like you say, I think Andrea Adriana's decline is particularly tragic. Um, again, Ralph, detestable, but just a brilliant character, uh, and his kind of his clashes with Tony in this season are particularly great. Um, and yeah, there's definite. It's really interesting that Tony is. Very sentimental towards animals, which we first, I think, realise when he goes on about the ducks in therapy, um, and it just keeps cropping up again and again. Um, and it's like, yeah, the way to get him mad is to kill one of his animals, uh, and that's I don't know. Just it brings a kind of some something really relatable to his character, certainly for me, uh, in, in a weird way. Um, I guess it's like the defenseless of animals makes it somehow more anger-inducing. But I don't know, yeah. That's all I really have to say specifically about this season, because like I say, it's washing. I think the further you get towards the middle, the more things wash into one a bit, and it's not absolutely nothing bad about the uh, show. That's just the way I watched it, because I watched everything so quickly. It kind of didn't feel like it was split into seasons as much as it would have done if I'd waited a year. <laughs> I think I think that is probably the effect, because I remember it took me about a year to watch, um, and I do remember that. I think, I think the first few... Uh, well, the two and three maybe blend together the most for me, um, even though they have different villains and things like that. Uh, but I think I remember as it progressed, I remember being able to define the seasons and their arc, their narrative arcs much more clearly. Um, just, just, just the way I can remember feeling about it. 
Uh, and I remember this being uh, an excellent season for many reasons. From what I can recall, even though it was violent, like you mentioned, that death scene almost had an, an, air, an underlying air of farce to it as well. Um, I don't know if I've misremembered that, but... Um, kind of. I mean, it, 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 you know, it's a, it's a violent struggle in a kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Um, in which Tony gets, um, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's bleach or some aerosol sprayed in his eyes. Um, yeah, that's probably the, what I'm thinking about, yeah. Uh, there is an element of home. You could almost say a little bit of Home Alone in it, almost. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I think the pain, the, the physical pain they're in, is just kind of horrible. So mm. you're kind of laughing, but you think, oh, no, yeah. And uh, as Ralph kind of gets beaten to death, deservedly so. I mean, I'm not sure there's many characters in the show who deserve their death more than he did, um, and not just because he killed a horse. Um, <laughs> No, but yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this is a mid-season death as well, isn't it? Which is a, a, it bit, is, yeah, a bit unique, it is, yeah. a bit unique for the show. Yeah, so Ralph kind of straddles one and a half seasons, if you like, season three and um, season well half of season four, like we're saying, mm. which is unusual, and it shows that the Sopranos, despite the fact, as we've referenced a few times now, it keeps to a structure, um, it has the capacity to surprise you. And like Clive's mentioned earlier, it's not afraid to kill off its best characters. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, it's almost like the life's blood of the show, that, I think. Uh, and the fact that mm-hmm. it keeps bringing in new characters with the same um, integral role to the story is uh, just another one of its strengths, many strengths. Yeah, characters quickly become integral without them having to have... I feel like other TV shows sometimes rely on just being really long mm. for a character to feel important, whereas that never... <laughs> Sopranos, within two episodes, someone feels really important and you feel like they're quite fleshed out and I think that's one of the sh- things the show does really well. Yeah, really interwoven in that sense, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, well, we mentioned you, you mentioned, Alex, the, uh, the Furio storyline in this uh, season, which I think for me is one of the most memorable uh, storylines in the show. I thought it was incredibly written. Uh, and the fact that it's, it's a suggestion, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. crystallize in the way you expect storylines to, uh, for me, made it all the more phenomenal. And that mm. scene when Furio and Tony are stood in front of the helicopter is, uh, is one of the ones that is ingrained in my memory from the show. Oh, yeah. Um, Tony drunkenly pissing next to a helicopter blade, Furio, just considering, do I do it? Do I do it? Um, (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah. And then that leads into, I hope you don't mind me jumping on, Um, that that leads into the finale, which um, I feel like I'm contradicting what I said earlier a bit. But again, this is the finale is one of the most significant and explosive episodes in this season. It's where all of those threads from the season between Tony and Carmella build to an eruption. Um, and And I think this is this is as good a point as any to obviously the show was showered with award nominations. Uh, I'm just going to mention the Emmys because it's one of the most prominent. It was I've checked. It was nominated for 111 Emmys. <laughs> uh, it only wow. won 21, which sounds low, but I think it is very difficult to win an Emmy, obviously. Uh, but um, if I've counted correctly, then Edie Falco won three, including one for this episode, unsurprisingly and deservedly. I think Gandolfini only won two, if I counted correctly, and one of them was for this episode again, White Caps, the season finale. Yeah. Um, I mentioned some of the others later, but Joe Pantoliano won one also. I don't know if it was for this season or three, uh, but very much deserved. Any Emmy won from this show on an acting basis is deserved, undoubtedly. 
Um, yeah. And worth mentioning in passing that the show was nominated for Best Drama every year. It won two, uh, which I, I don't. Without looking at the competition, it feels low, but it depends what what beat it, doesn't it? Um, if it, if it feels like if you've got six seasons here, at least three of them should have won. Yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah. Um, uh, there are other. Uh, acting wins but as I say I'm going to delay that and mention them at a specific point for a good reason uh, I'm just I'm just disappointed that um, I would say that Lorraine Bracco didn't win one um, and I think it, in these discussions as we're doing it's very easy to overlook her because even though there is some inevitable crossover um, the there isn't there isn't ever an intermingling of the other characters with Jennifer Melfi to the extent that it, it sort of breaches the sacredness of the therapy angle, if you know what I mean. So it is almost like a separate entity, which I think is why it's difficult to to discuss it when you're discussing these other parts of the the story that we are. Oh yeah, um, but I th- she would have been an excellent value for an Emmy. She was nominated several times. Well, yeah, no, she's outstanding. You've nailed it there. It's almost like the conversations are happening only in Tony's head. They are obviously happening physically, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's almost an entirely different show, and it's it's an integral part. Um, obviously, Clive said it from the start. That's what that's one of the things that drew him in. If you didn't have Tony in his therapy sessions, um, this show loses so much of his luster. I mean, I'm sure it would have still been great, but um, you need to understand the deeper, the depth of Tony. And uh, Dr. Melfi is such an important character in expanding that. What I find interesting, and um, a lot of people talk about this, is Soprano started in 99, uh, the same year that Analyze This came out, the mob comedy starring Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal as a mob boss in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Entirely unconnected, apparently. Um, But it's, it's interesting that the kind of late 90s was the first time that TV film decided that sociopaths, you know, had deeper characters as well. Or maybe not the first time, but I didn't know that about analyze this at the same time. Um, but I think I, I think in, in the way it's used in The Sopranos and just to devise it in the first place was a stroke of genius. It adds so much to the story, like we've discussed. Um, and it's just, I think it's just. Whenever I see therapy scenes in other things now, I just think, why are you bothering? You know, because it's already been aced. So, to such an extent, by the Sopranos. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean you're not going to use therapy scenes, but I can't imagine it ever being done better. And it just, it just seemed, it does seem like a stroke of genius, as I said. I think it works as well because Tony is, in some ways, so resistant to therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, as he mentioned earlier, you know, whatever happened to Gary Cooper? Um, you know, <laughs> t- Tony is, you know, he is a hard man. He is a tough guy. He's not a guy who's supposed to act upon his emotions other than perhaps anger and lust. Um, and there are times when he's incredibly into his therapy and there are times when he's incredibly resistant and volatile. Uh, and I think people who are so into their own therapy that they kind of just have a deluge of um, their own feelings are less interesting to listen to than Tony who gets kind of coaxed and at sometimes um, kind of provoked into reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, makes it incredibly interesting. Definitely, and I think I think the contrast between uh, we've already mentioned how excellent the Furio um, Carmella thing is that and um, Tony's fling in the previous season with uh, was it the previous season? You've mentioned it. I think it was the previous season. This whole yeah. this yeah. episode's now washing into one <laughs> um, <laughs> with um, the lady from the car dealership. Gloria, it's just really yeah, Gloria is. 
it, the contrast of those two stories is, I think, brilliantly kind of sums up the, the difference in their characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tony, I mean, the show does go over kind of Freud and um, to a certain extent, and um, Tony's relationship with women, which is often linked in with his his mother and his, his understanding of kind of Italian beauty. Um, and what what other show would you get that in? I mean, wow. Definitely, yeah. The, just the layers of depth to it, yeah. And mm-hmm. this this is, again, what makes it a pop cultural phenomenon as well. Absolutely. Just just a correction, by the way, Gandolfini and Falco did both. They both won three um, Emmy okay. Awards. So, yeah. And their last wins were, were both for that season four finale. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll move on to, uh, to season five, um, which is, um, I, I mean, every, every season is good. And I wouldn't say season five is necessarily better than any others, but to me, it's one of the most fun seasons, uh, the most thriller-like seasons. Um, so season five sees the return from prison of uh, several mobsters who are all caught at the same time, uh, two, two prominently in the Jersey side and two prominently on the New York side. So on the Jersey side, you have the return of Fichtler Manor, a old-school style uh, mobster, uh, a very fierce butch character and then secondly and more importantly you have Tony Blundetto uh, Tony's cousin played by Steve Buscemi um, th- this season kind of from a mob perspective is kind of Tony versus Tony B or Tony S versus Tony B um, to start with there is kind of Tony's guilt so um, as is referenced in the show Tony was supposed to be on the job where Tony uh, Tony B got caught uh, he had a panic attack and hit his head. Um, he, he blamed being assaulted by um, some African-Americans, although Tony uses a different word. Um, but Tony's kind of residual guilt from this, you know, Tony's gone from strength to strength, he's become, to an extent at least, becoming a mob boss, whereas um, Tony B has lost everything. Um, and I think this is kind of, um, this is brought more to the forefront by the fact that Tony B wants to go straight when he comes out. Um, in an amusing twist, he wants to be a massage therapist and is taking this extremely seriously until events of the season take him back to his mob life. Um, and then this is kind of... We're always kind of in contact with the New York families, uh, but this is kind of the start of their kind of increased interaction. Uh, so there was a power power struggle between Johnny Sack and Carmine Lupatazzi Jr. following the, the death of Car- Carmine Sr. Um and from a family perspective, it's Tony versus Carmella again, albeit this time they're separated and they're at war with each other. And t- Tony's kind of finally learning that there are some serious consequences to his lack of impulse control. Uh, and they have some repercussions with AJ, his son especially. Um, would you would you agree with me that this is kind of one of the more exciting seasons? Not that they're all not exciting and excellent, but... I think this is the best season. I think this is my favourite season, personally. Okay, yeah. Um, that's, that's exactly what I remember about it. I remember devouring every episode ravenously. I was so engaged with the story at this point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's brilliant to watch. Uh, in a moment, I'll get to the fact that it features my favourite episode of the show. Um, so much going on, but it, it, that's in no way to the detriment of the show. It pulls it off. Um, which won't surprise anyone. I've not got any criticisms uh, left to make of this show. Uh, not that I had any really, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely agree. 
Mm-hmm. Clive, any any thoughts? Does this one hang in your memory as well? I think this one probably blends with the, the final one a bit, and yeah, like you say, definitely a really exciting one because of the introduction of more of the like families, the mob families uh, fighting each other, which is you know something that's toyed with earlier, but <laughs> comes to a bit of a crunch in this one. Um, and in a way makes things bigger stakes, I think, which is maybe why it's a bit more exciting. Um, not that any of the previous episodes are more exciting, as you're saying, um, Al. I think at this point, and then maybe not this season in particular, but we've not really talked about Bobby much. Um, and I feel like he's a, a fantastic character um, in that he's kind of the the more like mellow, shy, kind of quiet character. And it's really interesting kind of how he fits into the, how he kind of fits into this picture. Um, and I think he's really, really well played. I don't know the actor's name, but yeah, just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to him because yeah, I think just the way that he deals with his his wife's death and then stuff like that. And I don't know, I just think it's a really well thought out character, a really interesting something a bit different for this kind of thing <laughs> not the type of uh, for, like I say he he's, seems quite different to all the other guys um, in the mob um, and I thought that was interesting well yeah I mean um, Bobby is kind of a like you say a shy kind of sweet natured guy which is not really in keeping with the mobster um, in fact there's only really one incident in the entire show where you really see Bobby being forced into an action um, mm-hmm. a brutal action um, other than that you you kind of get the impression his crimes are more kind of of the um, you know con con base, and certainly he's to some extent um, as much of a criminal as the rest of them. But um, oh yeah, certainly um, he's a he's more in touch with his actual emotions, and um, I think it's an underrated performance by Stephen Chirrupa. Um I think he's not necessarily the most memorable character in terms of brutality, but um, he's a, he's a grounding element to the show. Mm-hmm. No, that's, yeah, I think that's that's, that's well summed up. <laughs> the grounding element, I agree. Speaking of uh, characters who are unusual in the mob, I think this is. I can't remember exactly when this happens, but the uh, the development of the character of Vito as a closeted homosexual is uh, a, a great element as well. It is, although mm-hmm. I believe that's next season, though. Is it? Is it I, I think it, I think it develops during this season, and then it comes to a head later. If I if I remember correctly, oh yes, possibly the first element. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a bit more in season six anyway, because that's definitely the main crux of it. But yeah. yes, but in in Is terms it, of go on, sorry, I was just going to say, uh, interestingly, um, the actor who plays Vito, who um, bear with me a second, uh, is Joseph uh, Ganascoli. Um, he's an actor who, uh, from what I understand, was never supposed to have. As large a role as he did, mm-hmm. the, the role and the character of Vito was expanded upon uh, because he lost weight in real life. They had to explain that, um, you know, Vito's new appearance in the show and um, he got rewarded with a complex storyline, which we'll go over a bit later. Yeah, love out like that. Um, these th- mm-hmm. unplanned things that get uh, get woven into the sh- into shows like this, That's uh, that's great. But I was just going to mention in terms of Bobby as well. Um, I mean, how have um, at this point in season five have Junior's faculty started to deteriorate? I can't really locate that. Yeah, I, th- I think they started at the end of season four, right. and uh, they're rapidly going downhill, and kind yeah. of they're at the bottom of the hill by season six. Yeah, 
because I just want to specifically mention one scene where um, Curb Your Enthusiasm is on the TV <laughs> and Junior mistakenly thinks that he and Bobby are on TV. Uh, and I just think when material like that's falling into your hands, you've got it made. I mean, the show's almost writing itself. It's so good at that point. Uh, you get just fa- fascinated <laughs> with how that scene ends up in the show, but it's superb. Oh, I mean, my guess is one of the writers was just watching <laughs> Kirby and Theus and thought, hang on a minute, Larry David and Jeff Garlin look a little bit like Dominic Chinesi and Stephen Sherpa. I hope so. Um, or somebody's brought it to their attention anyway. And yeah, another example of the lightness of touch of the show, um, mm. the excellent laughs that can be had. Um, I think... Uh, before we move on to um, season season um, six, I've got to say Steve Buscemi's uh, performance in this, outstanding. I love the fact that he wants to go straight to start with. He's a calming influence. Mm-hmm. Um, he's taken on a profession which is largely unmacho and uh, Tony is a bit suspicious of. Um, and I, li- I like the fact that the turning moment in the show for him is literally a bag of money falling at his feet or practically into a bush next to him. Um, the corrupting power of money, living a life, being able to live a lifestyle that he'd put behind him, uh, brings him back to crime and ultimately to his downfall. Yeah, uh, I love I love the character of Tony Blundell. Brilliantly done. Same. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to mention that this, as I said, this features my favourite episode of the show, uh, Long Term Parking. Um, so I'm going against the grain of Pine Barrens a little bit, obviously. Uh, so this is the episode uh, in which Adriana is whacked. Uh, it's a white-knuckle ride of an episode, uh, and I think the fact that this is my favourite, um, but Pine Barrens is a lot of people's favourites, one is, um, for the most part, a comedy episode. The other is the exact opposite. I think tells you everything about this show, all of the uh, brilliant edges to it. And also... Uh, the fact that uh, neither episode is in any way particularly Tony-centric, uh, t- again, just speaks to how many strengths, the myriad strengths and characters of this show. Um, so that's that's a brilliant advert for it. Uh, and just having this, these discussions is uh, is really um, bringing out how many things I'd forgotten that, that showed that the sort of uh, the force that the show was gathering by this point uh, and it had already secured its own legacy at this stage, I would say. Uh, that much is clear when, you wa- when you've when you watched it this deeply into it. Um, but uh, but also, uh, Michael Imperioli and um, Dre Di Matteo both won Emmys for, uh, for that episode, for long-term parking, uh, which I think, again, says it all, uh, and much deserved. Uh, so for me, that is the very that's the very high point of the uh, of the show. Even though there's a lot of excellence still to come after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. And um, I thought you were going to mention this, hence why I haven't really brought it up too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I also think it it, it marks a point, and I've, I've read an interview um, that Steve Van Zandt uh, really wanted Silvio to have some moments in the show that showed he was, you know, in a lot of respects, just as bad as Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, because up to that point, we'd really only seen him. Yes, he's running, um, you know, strippers and prostitutes, and presumably a sexist character, but we've never seen him really getting his hands dirty. And the fact that it's left to him to, um, to murder Adriana is shocking. Um, you maybe would have expected it of other characters. Um, but this kind of breaks the illusion that even the good guys in the mob are good guys. Um, 
and I thought it, I thought it was a brutally done scene. I think I mentioned this on Twitter before. Um, I think the ultimate cruel joke is the false exit of Adriana, uh, the idea that she has mm-hmm. run away rather than being picked up by the mob. Um, the song Leaving California starts, which is kind of a song you would associate with somebody going away for a fresh start, and then it cuts to... Um, it cuts from being, um, I always forget the way around this is, diegetic to non-diegetic. And it's it's on the radio mm-hmm. in, in Silvio's car. And you realise that her fate is sealed. And it's it's a horrible moment, but brilliantly written. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Done superbly again. Mm-hmm. I always... Before, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I'm always unforgettable for me in the season finale, the scene where Tony meets Johnny Sack. And uh, the FBI arrive. Um, I lo- I love yeah. that. Oh, that's in this season. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he literally just runs off and dumps his gun in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, everything about that finale, uh, because there's a lot more to it than that. That's just a scene that's always stuck in the memory. Cool. Uh, Clive, before we move on to the very the longer last season, do you have any thoughts on season five you want to add? Uh, nothing to add really no I think we've discussed everything that I can think of so let's uh, move on to the finale okay seasons well we've kind of already mentioned this but season six is split into two parts and honestly I would have been more comfortable with them calling it season six and season seven because the tone is so different Um, season six opens with uh, Tony being shot by a now very demented junior who believes he uh, Tony is his long term nemesis uh, from the 1960s. Um, and the first part largely focuses in Tony in a coma and um, the repercussions of that. And I know to an extent something that Michael didn't enjoy, uh, Tony's existence in a kind of coma-like, uh, in a dream-like coma world, uh, where he lives out a live life as salesman Kevin Finity, who seems to have um, swapped... Uh, after he swapped identities... Um, the, the second season, I'll kind of... We'll, we'll go over... We'll almost go over this as two seasons, I think, or else it becomes a bit confused. Um, but the other part of this is we have Vito, and we've mentioned this already, uh, being outed as a homosexual and the horrific consequences for this. Um, you kind of see Vito being forced to leave the mob. And um, he, he lives a, a near idyllic existence to a certain extent, in uh, New, I, think, I believe it's New Hampshire, uh, with finding a boyfriend, living out a an honest life, and until uh, a bit like Tony Blundetto, until he starts missing the parts of his life that he had before, the easy money, the, the easy access to everything he wanted, and that comes to a tragic end. Um, I get the impression this is probably your least favourite kind of season, Michael. Am I right in that, or least favourite part of a season? Um. Maybe, although you, although I don't dislike it by any stretch. Um, I think maybe maybe it um, it slows a little bit, which is because of the structure of it. Um, but there's still there's still a lot of great you know great work here. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't criticize it overly. It's just that that sequence that you mentioned for me. It was a lit, It was the only time the show was ever a little bit filler, uh, which is mm-hmm. obviously because it delves fully into a dream sequence that. Um, I mean, it brought it brought something to the show, but I didn't feel like I wanted or needed to see a full episode's worth. 
Mm. So for me, it didn't play to the show's strengths. But you know, doing something a little bit experimental, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, especially in a show of over eighty episodes. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't personally feeling it that strongly, but um, I'm sure other people enjoyed it. I'm a little bit surprised at that actually, because I know you're probably a bigger fan of surrealism than I am. Yeah, and, um, you, no, I can you, be. You, yeah, I think it it just has to click for me, and if it doesn't feel seamless, it can feel a bit awkward. And for whatever reason, that happened here. I'd need to rewatch it to probably reanalyze that. Uh, mm. But that that was how I, how I remember it feeling. Uh, but yeah. but I certainly wouldn't say it in any way spoiled anything. Uh, yeah. But if you if you're gonna look for a, if you're gonna look for a criticism in something that I've obviously otherwise you know had incredible adulation for, then that's probably where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Clive, again, before we kind of move on to the second part of this, which probably we've got more to talk about, um, did you have any thoughts on um, the opening half of this season? I guess I'll just comment on the dream sequence. I'm a, yeah, I, it wasn't my favourite bit. I think the main thing for me is it just, I guess, um, like I think Michael's mentioned, it slowed it down because it, the show had a good pace and then suddenly you got a whole episode of dream thing and it felt a bit like when you're reading a book where there's like where it flicks between two parts and there's one part where you're like i'm not really bothered about this i want to get to the other part i think when the, when the standard <laughs> uh, of what you're yeah. used to is so high you just want more of that i yeah. think i think that's part of the problem here yeah yeah true uh, but it by no means bad and yeah i was kind of like this is ex- i appreciated them being a bit experimental and i think that's probably the attitude that's made the whole thing so great so you're gonna have the odd I'll, thing uh, that- i'll actually yeah, go on, sorry. I was just going to say you're going to have the odd thing that misses, and I don't mean it misses generally, but missed for me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, if you do that. Um, yeah. Well, I was just going to say I can think of a, of a counter example, actually, that's done well uh, later on that I'll bring up shortly. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I've already mentioned it to an extent. I think the best part of the, the early part of season six is the Beto storyline. And although yeah. um, it, to a certain extent... It did slow things down in the same way that the Comisugans did. I like seeing Vito in this kind of almost fish out of water scenario. Oh, that was that was, mm-hmm. that was a great. I did love that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah same. Oh, that was great. And ultimately, well I think, acted too. I think it's ultimately another comment on the corrupting influence of easy money. Um, you know, easy access to well, not for Vito, but you know. Easy access to cheap sex, um, easy access to whatever you want through power and violence. And ultimately, that's what Vito misses, whether he likes to admit it or not. Uh, he could have, you know, theoretically lived out his life there. Um, th- I mean, who knows whether the mob the mob would have ever found him, but it seems unlikely. Um, but yeah, he, he, he becomes his own downfall. And obviously, uh, we're going to talk about him a lot more later, but the utterly detestable Phil, Phil Leotardo and his mm-hmm. very archaic views on on homosexuality uh, ultimately do for him. Yeah, I mean, they all had pretty archaic views, but his were particularly archaic. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, which says something, considering some of the other some of the stuff that other people were saying was pretty horrendous. Yeah, and then when absolutely. he says it, you're like, wow, this is a whole new level of, yeah, it says something. Um, but yeah, completely okay. detestable character, like you say. But let's move okay. on to the second part. I was just going to. Yeah. I was just going to add that the the scene that you mentioned where Junior shoots uh, Tony right at the start of the season is is one of the most shocking. Totally caught me off guard. Uh, loved that. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, I will. The, 
carry on. Sorry, sorry I'll go on. <laughs> I was just going to say we haven't. I suppose we haven't mentioned. That I think the difference in the show of when Tony is in bed and kind of the in the hospital bed and like the you see more of the family dynamic around and everyone trying to look as if they're helping and but struggling to see him in that condition in a sort of weakened state um, was really interesting as well and kind of threw the dynamic of the show into a different direction for for those few episodes yeah because it was kind of like a, it was almost as if the show was looking for its lead but it was a but in a good way <laughs> I, I like that that's analysis yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay, I'm going to quickly set up the second half of this, because I think the second half of this season, which it was split into, is more conventional in terms of structure. Uh, So in terms of the kind of the mob family, it's Tony versus New York. Uh, They're all at war with Phil Leotardo and uh, the New York family. In terms of his actual family, um, it's kind of mainly Tony versus uh, the idea that his son AJ has inherited his depression as AJ struggles with um, his own place in the world and ultimately attempts suicide. And then in terms of his therapy, it's really Tony versus Dr. Melfi, as Dr. Melfi kind of realises that she can't ultimately help him that much. She can maybe make his panic attacks less so, but in some respects she is his accomplice. She's helping him um, strategize his um, his managerial moves in the mob. And... Um, Again, I think this is another one of the more exciting seasons, um, largely because, and especially because you know it's the last season. There are so much, there are so many consequences that can be had from this. Um, I think early on in the season, I think we we see one of the, again one of the more shocking episodes when Tony um, decides that Christopher is too much of a liability. After they have a car accident, uh, Tony realizes that he, he just can't trust Christopher and it's I kind of think it's debatable whether he murders him or not but he certainly finishes him off uh, by holding his nose shut and he he kind of chokes on his own blood and I think that this is one of the most shocking scenes because Christopher was almost like a son to Tony his his protege as such and I think um, Michael Imperioli I think aside from Edie Falco and Gandolfini puts in the best long long term performance in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was sad to see that Christopher didn't have a, a better ending, even though he's arguably as awful as the rest of them. Um, but yeah, this, this, this was a shocking ending for him. Um, w- were you shocked by that, that, that scene as much as I was, uh, Clive? Uh, yeah, I guess I figured, I don't know. I just figured he'd go some other way, but then when it happened, I wasn't that shocked, uh, but it, I thought it was really really well done <laughs> uh, I guess I was shocked by the fact that Tony killed him off that part of it wasn't as shocked by the fact that Christopher died I was kind of expecting that to come at some point but yeah it was a really another really great scene another kind of a great way the show does shocking stuff but in a way that it was you know it was believable it wasn't like oh you've just done this for shock value for the hell of it it never feels like that Mm-hmm. I think I had I think I had slightly different uh, views by the sounds of it on this scene. For what I remembered, it was like you'd seen it coming, so it was it was building that way between them. Um, however, I, however, I did like it as an ending for Christopher's character. Um, so I thought it closed closed that out quite well. So it, that's that's how I recall anyway. I thought it was um, it was it was foreshadowed quite a lot. Um, I think it was, but I think I think you you got given the false impression that although Tony didn't trust uh, Christopher anymore, 
he was living with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, he'd just taken Christopher to quite an important meeting with New York. So he obviously still valued him as a lieutenant as such. And then the minute he realizes that Christopher has had this accident that nearly killed them both because he was high, Tony decides to take the opportunity. I think if Christopher had been relatively unhurt, I don't think Tony kills him. Yeah. But I think Tony sees the fact that he is maybe probably going to die anyway, but he decides I'm not taking any more chances at this stage. Well, that's, yeah, that's another way to interpret it, yeah. Uh, And I'm I'm not justifying Tony's actions, obviously, but you can see from his own strategic standpoint that that's why he's made that awful decision. Yeah. Um, that is uh, this is um, this is in Kennedy and Heidi, which is the proper anti penultimate episode, um, and that is where uh, after after that this is the this is what I was going to mention uh, in relation to the dream sequence. Tony ingests some form of hallucinogen, uh, and it then becomes quite trippy at the end of this episode. But this time it was really good. I really liked it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it almost unleashes a jubilation in Tony, which is quite jarring to watch. Um, And this is the first of the last four episodes, which in my opinion are all at least top ten episodes of the show, uh, which is why the show goes out on such an incredible high. Um, And in the anti-penultimate episode, um, The Second Coming, you've already mentioned that's the episode where AJ uh, attempts to commit suicide. Um... And I, I do remember thinking, um, I mean, we haven't really mentioned the characters of Meadow and AJ very much, but um, I do remember thinking they they brought a lot more in their own right to the show as it went on. But AJ in particular, who becomes very central as the show approaches its end. Uh, so I, I won't go into the other two episodes if you've got anything else you want to add first, but this is where the show, um, I mean, the standard of the, the final episodes is so high and I don't think I know of another show where it ends on such a sustained run of brilliance at the end. Um, no, I mean, I, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, um, you have... There is a sense, um, kind of a, a little bit in the, in the way that Game of Thrones had, where this is all for keeps. I mean, the, the Sopranos was always like that. No character, perhaps save for Tony himself, was ever truly safe. But, um, yeah, you know... There was a finality to this, and um, obviously the fact that they're against New York, a theoretically bigger mob place, and particularly against such a horrible, you know, character as Phil Leotardo. Yeah, this kind of archetypal um, old school mobster. Um, I mean, there is there is there's a scene in this after uh, one of Phil Leotardo's lieutenants um, acts uh, inappropriately towards Meadow where Tony gets his retribution, which is uh, wince-inducing um, and kind of reminds you of how potentially violent Tony can be. Yet at the same time, I'm kind of cheering him on, uh, where he basically kicks the, literally kicks the teeth out of a fellow mobster, uh, potentially killing him. Um, but no, I, 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 lo- I love this season. Um and I think it, it's worth noting as well that the season also ends with two other big character deaths. You have Bobby Bacalar uh, killed in a toy train shop and mm. theoretically Silvio killed in a shootout, although it's it's never never confirmed whether he survives or not, but it seems unlikely. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I think you touched on it, but the, the fact that they're at war with New York in this season, you know, the game is wide open and that's what gives it that sense of excitement. Um, 
what a, a scene that I, I'm assuming this is. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is uh, towards the end of the the show. I can't remember somewhere in this season. Uh, the scene where Carlo and Silvio murder Big Dom when he turns yeah, up and starts insulting them is in, is a superb scene. One of the most satisfying death scenes. Yeah, that that is in this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you mentioned in the penultimate episode, the Blue Comet, Bobby's death. I think that might be the best uh, shot murder scene in the show. Uh, the way it incorporates Bobby's passion of uh, train sets is incredible, breathtaking stuff. Uh, and I remember it being probably probably my favourite of all of the all of the death scenes in the show, which is saying something. Mm. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, it, it, it seems unfair that Bob, Bobby had to be one of the ones to go, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately, it's because Bobby is too competent and has gained Tony's trust too much to be allowed to live uh, by New York. Um, bef- I think we should finally talk about the ending and its controversy. But before we go there, Clive, did you have anything else you wanted to add to this? No, not beyond uh, what you guys have already said, other than I totally agree with Michael and that this, you know, it, amazing. the last few episodes are all absolutely fantastic. And yeah, like you say, probably in the top 10 episodes of the show, which is saying something considering the, the quality throughout the show. Yeah. Okay. Well, Let's talk about that ending because it is much talked about. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, they're in a restaurant, which is not particularly a Sopranos-esque restaurant. It seems to be just a, a diner. Um, they're listening to Don't Stop Believing by Journey. And I have to believe, by the way, that this show reignited people's passion with that song. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, and then there are several people who look like they might be potentially going to kill Tony. Fade to black. Um, I believe a whole host of people watching that at the time, millions of people, thought that their TV had broke, and then suddenly you see the credits <laughs> That's what rolling. happened to me. I thought my, uh, <laughs> I'd had a power cut. <laughs> Did you not know that ending then, Clive? No, I had no idea. Oh, I didn't right. know. have a clue how it ended at all. See, that was the problem. To avoid it. That was the problem for me, see. It was such a, a prominent event that I already knew the ending when I watched it, so, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know how I'd managed to... Probably because I'd been so uninvolved in it that maybe someone had mentioned it, but I just wouldn't have known what they're on about. Um, so, yeah, that was quite exciting for me. And going back a little bit to the end of the second I didn't really know. I could have quite easily seen it ending with um, Phil Cotardo winning uh, the war the mob war uh, and that's what made that I think really exciting the ending and uh, to be honest I thought t- Tony was going to get shot in, in the final episode and he was going to lose it um, but mm-hmm. carry on uh, Al let's talk about the ending specifically <laughs> so I mean I'm not going to ask for anything in depth but Clive did you like the ending or did you not yeah I loved it, um, it, it like I said I didn't really realise what was happening because it's so sudden uh, at the time, I did think it was it was a power cut, but yeah, I love it. I like the way that it doesn't tell you. I think it's the perfect way to end the show in that it doesn't tell you whether he lives or dies. Uh, and I didn't think it needed to because I don't know. I just it was great, perfect. It, it, it ended it in a similar way to the you know the Russian guy story, and I thought that is a brilliant way to I don't know it's ended the Russian guy's story who's a complete minuscule character and the main guy's story in a very similar way and I kind of enjoyed that and I think it was exactly how it should have been done even though I would never have thought of it (laughs) 
if someone mm. had asked me, how do you want this to finish? I probably wouldn't have thought of that as an option. Uh, but yeah, no. I thought it was great. I think I read an interview with David Chase where he said he wanted to end it to give you the impression that life goes on. Because I think a lot of these shows or a lot of these movies will end with something conclusive that changes everything back to, you know, a starting point. Mm. You know, everything's fine from here, happy ending, bad ending. This one, it's an ending for us. It's just it's just an ending for our, for our viewing into his life. It's not an ending for Tony Soprano, necessarily. Uh, yeah. And I, I love the fact that all of these people we see who look potentially shady could have absolutely nothing to do with it. It could just be an inconsequential Soprano family night out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I love this ending as well. I think it's really interesting that Made in America was um, originally polarizing and certainly confusing, I think, to people, and that's purely because of this ending. Uh, but it's since gone on to be very well received as one of the best finales of all time, um, and I think that is deserved. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that Tony is killed. That's always been my interpretation of it, and uh, that it ties back to. Uh, something Bobby says to him uh, about things fading to black earlier yeah. in the season, but I think yeah. there are there are other things that you can take as um, as counter arguments to that as well. Uh, and if, if David Chase came out tomorrow and said he doesn't die, I'd still believe he does. So that's just my interpretation. But I think it still functions the way you mentioned, uh, Alex, in terms of life going on. That's still the case whether he dies or not. And I like that aspect of it. It's it's a good. It, I don't feel like it's if I don't feel like it's a cop out. I think this could have easily come across that way, but it doesn't, and that's that's what secures its success for me. Um, I love the way the camera lingers on the guy who enters, and I think goes, or he gets up and goes to the bathroom. Uh, you know, just so suggestive. Uh, it's really, well, it's really well done. It, but it's it, not it, the it, first time. Sorry, I'll go. On. I was just going to say that recalls the scene from The Godfather where yeah. Michael Corleone goes to the bathroom to get the gun mm-hmm. to kill someone in a restaurant, and that that has to be deliberate. Yeah, for sure. Um, From what I remember, there's a couple of other things I want to mention about the finale. The scene we shouldn't overlook the. I think it's the the scene just before this um, where uh, Tony leaves leaves Junior after trying to talk to him. Junior has no recollection of anything at this point. Um, Tony is uh, distraught. It's a very powerful uh, scene. And um, also Phil's death scene because I just thought I thought it was brilliant because I just thought it made him seem so insignificant and pathetic. Uh, I thought it was really really well executed as well. From what I remember, yeah. I don't think um, uh, Doctor Melfi appears in the finale, which I remember surprised me. Like she's wrapped up before that in the uh, in the episode before. Uh, I thought it would have yes. been good. I thought it would have been good for her to be in the finale. So that that always seemed weird to me. But yeah. Well, like we mentioned earlier, she finally comes to the conclusion with the help of some of her fellow friends that mm. um, she's not ultimately changing him as a person. She's just helping him become a better version of what he is, uh, which, you know, interesting though he is, is a sociopath. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think the finale is amazing and I love the ending and it's the perfect cap on uh a show that we could probably talk about for hours more, but is really is really <laughs> perfection, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. And I think the what I was going to say earlier, the suggest I think the suggestive nature of the final scene, um, to me, didn't kind of steer it either way because I think yeah. it's done. What the one of the things the show does really well is there's bits where it feels like it's suggesting something, and then that thing just absolutely doesn't happen. And generally, when that thing happens, it hasn't really been suggested. I don't know. <laughs> 
we'll, we'll never know. Uh, That's the brilliance of yeah. it. That's what makes it such a talking point. People can will still be talking about yeah. it in 20 years, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a giant of the era, and I think re- very recently it's become a talking point, um, particularly among um, kind of Gen Z kids. Um, it's That's become... It, yeah. One of the most watched shows, particularly during lockdown, people had a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. They've revisited the classics of TV and a lot of very young people, and hopefully not too young, um, have been watching The Sopranos and loving it, which I think surprised some people because a lot of the characters are so racist, sexist, homophobic, etc. But I mm. think there's a recognition that these just because these characters are like this doesn't mean it's an endorsement of their, you know, horrific views. Yeah, which should, uh, should be obvious. Yeah, yeah, and I think as well it, it's testament to just how good this show is and how although there's been plenty of brilliant television since then, maybe there hasn't been anything quite as uh, like a novel on screen as this is. Yeah. Um, well, I watched I watched The Wire and this in close proximity, um, and I think the only show that hangs with them that I've watched since is Mad Men, which I watched in lockdown as well. Um, yeah, and I do really love nearly as much, but I think because of because of the fact that they came first, they paved the way. Uh, the Wire and the Sopranos will always they'll always be right at the top, I think. But um, prime example of why you know the the pop cultural influence and the um, I think the the feeling of community that comes with a show being watched on mass like the Sopranos, even though I wasn't part of that when it was on, I think that is what gives me the edge, gives it the edge for me. And like you just said. Um, a minute ago, uh, a prime example. Um, don't stop believing. You know, thundering up to become this, you know, this really widespread anthem. You know, a completely ubiquitous song. It wasn't that before this. People won't realise that probably. Uh, but I grew up not knowing that song at all, uh, and it was it was after this that it became that. So it's a prime example, yeah. and I think a lot of people probably don't realise that. Well, yeah, there you go. Um, well, I think I think that feels like a good point to end. Does anybody else have any any other thoughts they want to add on this show that they haven't had a chance to mention? Maybe we should just abruptly end at this point. <laughs> I've, I've okay. got the equivalent of a fade to black. I've got something we should say. Go on, then. Not one mention of uh, Tony's friend, Artie Bucco, who's a great character as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I mean, sure we've forgotten others, but he's just one that's uh, popped into my head. Well, that well, if anything, that just shows how incredible yeah. um, a range of ensemble um, th- this show has that we've not even mentioned as a character as in depth as that. Yeah, it will appears throughout the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this just leaves us uh, to maybe have a little plug time, Clive. Okay, it's plug time at Stick Around Cast on Twitter slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook. You can find us on the interwebs on stickaroundpodcast.com where we've got all our episodes and uh, articles and things like that. I'm carrying on with my favourite albums of every year. The last one I've done is 1978, working on 1979 at the minute. Um, I think we that's more or less it you can obviously find us on pretty much any uh, podcast app just search for stick around and we should come up give us five star reviews on iTunes that's the best way to get other people to know other than just telling them which is also a good thing to do Uh, so share the pod tell your friends all that kind of stuff and um, if you want to message us there's a contact us form on the website or email us at stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read it out on the pod and answer your question if we can 
Uh, I think that's it. It is. If, if so you've, okay, I'm just going to the toilet, guys. If you've somehow listened to all of this but not seen The Sopranos, which would be very, a very weird thing to do, then you absolutely must. You're not you're not living your best life if you haven't seen The Sopranos. I don't care yeah. who you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I couldn't put it better. Um, anyway, this has been a monster. Uh, we'll leave you with it there. Um, he's been Michael Johnson. I have. Um, he has been Clive Fisher. Yep. And I've been... Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train Going Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around